Wow. Good morning, everybody. Um, for those of you guys who don't know who I am, my name is Alan Manzano. Al Manzano to many of you guys. Thanks for letting me do this here today. Um, my family and I, we've been part of Connect here for a while now. In fact, our first day that we showed up was launch day. Man, and it, what's been insane about that is the opportunity that we've had to be able to see what it is that God has been doing with Connect Church since we started all the way back at the theater. Man, we're part of the crew that would basically wake up early in order to turn that movie theater to church. And we're also part of the crew that would stay late and turn that church back to a movie theater just so people can watch there or whatever it is they wanted to watch, man. That was, that was tough. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Anyways, I got the chance to be able to bring the message here today. So I thank you. Praise God that I get to do this. Let's pray before we get going. Father, Father, we thank you. We thank you for opportunities to learn. We thank you for opportunities to teach. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you continue to move within our hearts. And as you speak, allow us to listen and allow us to act on whatever it is that you have to teach us today. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Awesome. All right. So titles. I suck. Absolutely worst when it comes down to titles. Okay. I'm bad at them. The only thing you're going to get here today is two letters. Okay. B. All right. That's all you're going to get. Okay. That's all you get. Um, do you guys got a bedtime routine? Yeah, everybody's got a little bit of a bedtime routine, right? Uh, our bedtime routine at home has really recently included uh, us reading through the book of Acts as a family. And what's kind of neat about it is this, is I like the book of Acts. See, I'm, I'm one of those kind of little bit of a Bible church nerd, a little bit of a history nerd. You put the two together and that's how you get the book of Acts. For those of you guys who don't know, the book of Acts is really this. It's basically, it's, it's an account of how the church was established after after Jesus came back and uh, after Jesus came back from, uh, from the dead. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Acts and we're going to weave together a few different passages today and we're going to find a theme. We're going to find a teaching that comes out of that, which I think that God's going to be able to deliver with us. So here's what we're going to do here today. If you have your Bibles, I will encourage you and invite you to join with me. Uh, turn into in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter one. You can look on your phones and your iPad, on your tablet, whatever it is you got. We'll also have it up on the screen as well and you can follow along with us. We're going to do quite a bit of reading here today. So buckle up. Here we go. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Okay. A little bit of context. What we're going to be reading through first is we're going to be reading about the last time that Jesus is with his disciples. Okay. So let me go ahead and let's set the stage here just a little bit. This is the last time he's with them. He's been with them for three years. He's been their rabbi. He's been their teacher. He's been teaching them all about the kingdom of God. Now, more than any other day since his resurrection, more than any other day since his resurrection, this day, this day that we're going to be talking about first is the most important day in the life of the disciples. You know why? I'll tell you why. It's graduation day. It's graduation day. Guys, you remember graduation day? Boy, I barely remember graduation day. It feels like four lifetimes ago. But here's what's crazy about graduation day is that when we think about graduation day, oftentimes what we think about is this. We think graduation day equals end of something. We think graduation day is the end of schooling. Graduation day is the end of tuition. Graduation day is the end of whatever that looks like. Here's where it gets a little bit tricky, because you remember that ceremony where you walk across the stage, you get your diploma, you shake the hand and you smile for mom and dad. Yeah, that that day has an actual name and it's not the, called the goodbye day. It's not called the good riddance day. It's not the see you later day. It's called a commencement. It's called a commencement ceremony. 
See, and that's kind of where they get you. See, that's where the teachers get you. Right when you think you're done with school, they say, "Waha, we're going to start you on something even harder. Welcome to the work life. Start your career. Sorry, kind of. Anyways. So in this story, this is why it's graduation day here for the, for the disciples. Now, to, Jesus is together with his Talmudim. Okay? Repeat after me. Talmudim. Talmudim. One more time. Talmudim. Talmudim. Perfect. Literally the students who followed after Jesus. Okay? So he's together with his Talmudim one last time. Now, you got to remember, over the last three years, these guys have journeyed together to a whole bunch of different places. They've watched Jesus turn water into wine, walk on water, flip tables in a temple. They've watched him feed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. They've watched him teach thousands of people on the side of a hill. There's so many memories that you could probably sit back and reminisce and enjoy, but that's not the purpose of this graduation day. In fact, this, on this graduation day, Jesus wants to change modes. On this graduation day, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to commence something. All right, let's read it. It's up on the screen here now. Chapter one of the book of Acts, verse three. Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. There he's teaching right to the very end, just the natural teacher. Here we go. Then he starts his commencement speech. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, here's what we're going to do here today. We're going to hang our hat on one phrase, and that phrase today is going to be this one, be my witnesses. Repeat after me. Be my witnesses. After me, after me, after me. Okay, let's try this one more time. Be my witnesses. One more time. Be my witnesses. Perfect. Now, I want you to consider this. I want you to consider how daunting of a task that ask, that commencement was that Jesus was giving over his disciples that day. What he was asking his Talmudim to do. See, in the ancient world, this idea that there was one, one true and exclusive God who was calling all men and women from every country, every culture, every language, calling, him to, calling them to bow before him, to follow him, to love him, to be redeemed by him. That didn't exist anywhere at that time. It didn't exist anywhere. In fact, all these guys that were following Jesus in his Talmudim, they, um, you know, if you wanted to, they, they followed this one and true God, they were Jews. And if you wanted to become a Jew, what you had to do is you had to basically, a person had to become a Jew. You know, if, if a person wanted to become a Jew, you truly had to become a Jew, meaning this, you had to follow their traditions, you had to follow their customs, you had to follow the teachings. In fact, if you were a dude anywhere, then you needed to go off and get, <laughs> if you don't know what that means, talk to the person who just laughed, okay? So <laughs> there you go. It needed to happen. But here's what Jesus is doing on graduation day at the ceremony of their commencement. He's basically telling them something that's never been done in the history of the world. You will be my witnesses. And just like that, Jesus is gone. I can't snap. Now, what happened from that day forward absolutely changed, 
absolutely changed the lives of hundreds of millions, hundreds of billions of people over the course of hundreds and thousands of years, over the course of generation, over generation and generation of people, of nations, of culture. What they did changed everything. You guys know what he did? You know what they did? I'll tell you. They did what Jesus asked them to do. They did what Jesus asked them to do. Be my witnesses. All right, let's kick this into overdrive. Um, Let's pull this map up here real quick. Now, I need you to understand a couple things. Uh, Jesus says this, I want you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria, and to the rest of the world. Now, here's Jerusalem on a map, this little place right here. Now, many of you guys probably know where Jerusalem is. You've heard about it in the news. You've heard about it in whatever that looks like. It's an important city now. It was an important city back then as well. But you've got to understand that there's a little bit of disparity that's happening here, probably in the minds of the disciples. See, the disciples aren't from here. They're actually from up here in Galilee, which doesn't look like it's that far. I get it. 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 But what's happening is this, is it's also a very different land. It's kind of like saying, hey, Alan, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go off and I want you to reach people in Quebec. I love Quebec. Okay. I don't want you guys to completely interpret what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Okay. I truly, truly, truly enjoy Quebec. The problem is, is if you send me there, I don't speak the language very well. I don't understand the culture very well. Despite the fact that it's all Canada, I still have to learn it. And that's really what's happening here, is despite the fact that it's not too far, in order to reach people here in Jerusalem, you've got to learn the culture, you've got to learn the language, you've got to learn it all. So that kind of dissonance is probably happening in the mind of the disciples. But they say, fine, okay, Jesus, Rabbi, we've been here with you for three years, we're going to go ahead and we're going to just do it, because you told us to. Great. So from Jerusalem, he says, go to Judea, which is this whole shaded area here. They go, ah, it's not that far already there anyways. Let's do it. Then I want you to go to Samaria. Ah, come on, Jesus. We've talked about this, man. Do we really got to go talk to those Samaritans again? I know that you've talked up, and you can hear Jesus almost hit them and say, yeah, (laughs) you got to go talk to the people in Samaria. All right. So the disciples are probably thinking this. Okay, let's go over the list again. You want us to go from Jerusalem You want us to go to Judea. You want us to go to Samaria. And there was another place that you wanted us to go. What was it called? They go, right. The rest of the world. (laughs) No big deal. See, I want you guys to consider how daunting of a task that actually was. Old preacher, he said something like this. One tiny little spot, one hill. One crucified carpenter, Jesus. He's a rabbi. And 11 guys decide to follow him. And he says this. Now, now I want you to go out there and be my witnesses to the whole world. No money, no connections, nothing. Crazy. I need you to consider how crazy that absolutely is, except for one thing, it actually happened. Anyway, so Jesus tells them Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. Man, I think I try to picture what it would be like to be a disciple in that moment. You know, and it would probably be all looking around each other. It's like, okay, I would take charge so I can delegate the tasks. I would take charge. I would say, all right, I'm going to Jerusalem. Yeah. You're going to Judea. You guys are going to Samaria. Uh, But how are we going to do the rest of the world? I don't know if we're really built for this. Man, you're a tax collector. 
man, you guys are fishermen. This is not the kind of thing that we're built or trained to do. How are we going to do this? Well, here's where I think it gets really cool. Because immediately after this, in the next chapter, we're going to read something. Because in this next chapter, I'm going to give away the secret. We read about how Jesus, sorry, how God sets the pace for reaching the world. How God sets the pace for reaching the world. It's almost as though God is saying this. I know, guys, this is tough. So I'm going to be the one to start. I'll break down the cultural barriers. I'll break down the racial prejudices. I will reveal myself to all people and all nations first, just to prove how serious I actually am. Okay, let's read on. Chapter two, verse one. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then What looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, what's really cool about this passage when we read it is this. We can read a lot of passages and pull a lot of truth out of it all the time. But what's really neat about this passage, it isn't the how about the passage. It isn't the where about the passage. It isn't the when about the passage or the why about the passage. What makes this passage really interesting is the who Who is it that God and the Holy Spirit decides to bless in that moment? Who is it that receives the blessing? The answer is everyone. Everyone. See, no longer is Jehovah God a God just for the Jews. No longer is Jehovah God only a God for the people who already know him. God set the pace and he was now officially available to all people. Which people? Let's keep reading. Here we go. Scripture even says this, and I love the way Dr. Luke starts this. He goes, here we are. Here we are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, the the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Remember that point? Okay. Um, Both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs. And we all, and we all hear these people speaking speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. Notice this. Notice this. Everyone got blessed. See, this passage is also really specific about the Jews and the converts of the Jews. But notice, they were just in the mix at this point. It's almost as though what God is saying is, yes, we're including them because I know them already but we're also going to reach everyone else. It's almost as though what God is saying is this. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care the culture you come from. I don't care the smell of your food. I don't care what it is that you like to eat. I don't care what it is, how much you've got in your bank account. I don't care about any of that stuff. If you want to have a relationship with me, you're probably at this thing. If you want to have a relationship with me, I want to have a relationship with you. If you want to have a relationship with me, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to bless you. If you want to have a relationship with me, I want to get to know you. And guys, here's the reality. That truth exists today the same way that it existed thousands of years ago in this passage that we happen to be reading together. If you want to get to know Jesus, then he will get to know you. Oh. Now what happened next? Let's keep reading. What happened next? I'll tell you what happened next. The church happened next. The church happened next. And here's where it gets cool because this is the place where the Talmudim, Jesus is students, and all the rest of the disciples together start practicing 
being witnesses. See, this is the place where God's followers start practicing being witnesses. How do they do that? Let's read. Chapter 2, verse 45 to 47. Now, as we read this, I'm going to encourage you to notice something, okay? Look for the verbs. Look for the things that they did. Look for the things that happened in this passage, because this is what was happening, how they were being witnesses. Here we go. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people." And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And each day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Guys, I love this image of the church. I really, really do. You know, I can almost just picture it, even as they're talking about it. These are people who are selling possessions in order to be able to give in need to people who need. They were opening up their homes and sharing food with one another. They were worshiping together. They were doing all sorts of stuff together. Sure, there were probably the introverts who were sitting in the corner every once in a while, but we still found ways to be able to include them. (laughs) But I'll tell you guys, what happened is it happened together. Man, I can even picture this. I can even picture a whole bunch of the different nations. I can picture the people from Egypt kind of coming together, bringing up some of the most exotic foods, almost telling stories of all the pyramids that dot across their land. You know, I almost envision the people from Phrygia, which is kind of modern-day Turkey, coming out and sharing the spices that no one else has ever tried. I can see folks from Mesopotamia, which is kind of ish, modern day Iran and Iraq, uh, bringing out figs and maybe other fruit that people could share. People from Crete opening up boxes of fish. I can see even the Romans going out and sharing maybe cheese or, I don't know, pasta. Or maybe what they were doing is they were going out and they were telling conquests. There are stories that happened from all across the empire. Man, I can even picture the Canadians were there. The Canadians probably went out, grabbed a little bit of food, found some pieces of white bread, slammed it all together and made a sandwich. And for some reason, the Filipinos had karaoke. (laughs) Don't know why, but it's fun. (laughs) Man, oh man, oh man. God moved first. God moved first. People acted and became witnesses. And the church happened. Man, these guys were fearless. Man, these guys were fearless. I try to put myself in these guys' shoes, and I couldn't do what they were doing. These guys were fearless. If you guys have read through the book of Acts, there's a whole bunch of other stories that come out of there that I really enjoy. You'll read about Stephen, who preached the word to some Roman authorities, and he got stoned. You'll read about Philip, who traveled a really great distance just to share the gospel with one person in the middle of a desert. You'll read the stories about Peter, who went out and he shared the gospel wherever he could. He healed the sick. He preached at all opportunities. He was sent to jail eventually, and he, you know, tradition tells us that he was martyred. And the granddaddy of them all is Paul. Originally Saul, wrote to Emmaus, becomes Paul, because God calls him. And he goes out and establishes church after church after church after church, ministers at church after church after church after church. And what's really crazy about that is if you read the book of Acts, you will read all sorts of crazy stuff. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11, if you get a chance to read it, you will read everything he had to suffer in order for that mission to happen. Thrown in jail, shipwrecked, you name it. 
Okay. Here's the results of their boldness. I think we got one more slide here. Here's the results of their boldness. And there's a passage here in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, that I really want to point out. So the word of God spread. They went out. They were witnesses. Okay? They're doing exactly what Jesus asked them to do. Okay? They were witnesses. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And a large number of priests get obedient to the faith. Here's what's interesting is if you do read the book of Acts, you kinda, this, we kind of either gloss over this or it kind of gets buried in all the other really rich truth that happens in this book. Here's a cool thing that just, that, that's a fact that we oftentimes miss is that a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. When I think about the people that are probably the hardest people to reach, when I think about the people who are probably going to be the hardest people to try and share the love of Jesus with, the people that I think about are probably those folks who run and lead a different faith system, run and lead a different religion. Right. Disagree? Maybe, maybe not, whichever. Um, but I get it. Like this, this is kind of what goes through my head. But the, rea the reality is these are the people who are coming to Jesus. In fact, I did a little bit of research here this week to kind of figure out who these priests were. And a lot of the commentaries and a lot of the things that I was reading is this, is these priests were Jewish priests, specifically Hellenistic Jews. Now, what the commentaries were telling me is this, is that specifically, a lot of these people were probably the same people who were opposing Jesus when he was here. These were the same people who were battling against Jesus while he was starting his ministry, while he was doing his ministry. These were, quote unquote, almost enemies of those who were trying to share the good news. They opposed the word of God, but yet with the boldness of the disciples of the Talmudim, of those who followed him, even they were getting saved. Even they were getting saved. Who's too far away from God that they can't hear and be loved by you? No one. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend a couple weeks or a couple months ago, and like I told you, I'm a bit of a church nerd, so this kind of comes up every once in a while in some of the conversations I have with people. We were sitting with across from each other at a coffee at a coffee shop, and we started talking about what it's like to be a witness at our work, you know. And he said, "Man, Alan, I would love to be just as bold as some of these guys in Acts." You know, I told him, "Man, I would love to be just as bold as some of these missionaries in the Book of Acts as well." And he told me, he goes, "But here's the problem, Alan. I don't know if you completely." understand how hard that is to do. I don't know if you completely understand how hard that is to do. You know, at my work, there's policies against it. You know, at my work, I'm literally the only Christian. I'm going to either be alienated or isolated, or I'm going to get thrown out or something along those lines. I got to be really careful what I say. Alan, I don't think you understand. Alan, I don't think you understand. Man, I took a look at him dead in the eyes across the table. And, I, you know, he told me, Alan, you don't understand. I told him, yes, I do. Actually, I do understand. Man, I've spent the last 15 years trying to climb the corporate ladder as well. But I, what I also understand is this, is I also understand how hard it is to do. I get it. I get it. I get how hard it is to be a witness at work, to be a witness at school, to be a witness at the basketball court, at the golf course, at the whatever it is that you happen to do. I get it. But every once in a while, here's what happens. Every once in a while, when you're talking to someone, you'll feel kind of this internal nudge. And maybe all of a sudden your eyes would pan over to someone. And, and in that moment, you'll notice that the door to their life opens up just a crack. Yeah. Just a crack, just enough to be able to notice something. 
That maybe in that moment, God's asking you to do something. Maybe in that moment, God's asking you to throw your arm around that person because they just need a hug. Maybe their life opens up just a crack in just a moment. And what God's asking to do is to spend an extra moment, maybe even if you don't have to, just so that you can share the love with that person. Their life might open just a crack, just so that you can spend a moment to be their witness. Because all God needs to work is he just needs a moment to change a life. It only takes a minute for God to work, the right moment to be a witness, and you will absolutely see lives changed. One day, graduation day, Jesus says to his friends, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the world. And now it's happened. In fact, it's happened so much for so long that now it's happened to the point that now we carry the baton. And now we're the ones who are called to be his witnesses. Okay. We've kind of been humming at 30,000 feet. Let's, let's land this plane a little bit. Okay. Um, when I was in university in Edmonton, I, I worked in a homeless shelter called Hope Mission. Now, uh, our, our kids upstairs is a Calgary version of this. They take a collection and they uh, donate to Hope Mission on a regular basis. It's an awesome thing to do. In fact, if you've never worked in a homeless, in, in a homeless shelter, if you've never experienced that, I'd, tr- I'd encourage you to do it. It's a life-changing experience. Um, there was 200 residents that we had in there and there was five staff. It was really hard to love everybody, but we tried. In fact, there was one guy I remember that happened to be uh, there. He wasn't much older than me when I was in university and he was sitting in the cafeteria and I can almost distinctly see him right now. He had a piece of cardboard and he was writing on that piece of cardboard a sign somewhat similar to something that he was, uh, somewhat similar to what you see a lot of people in Calgary holding. In fact, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it looked something like this, more or less. And I apologize in the back if you can't read this. I'll try to read it for you. Homeless and hungry, any help will do. It's not unusual. You guys have seen this all the time around downtown, and sometimes you help someone and sometimes you don't. But we got to know this guy. Uh, in fact, I, I, we got to know him well enough that I could probably even give a little bit more context to what he was going through. And remember, he wasn't really much older than me, and I was in university. His story was more like this. He had a gambling addiction. Lost my job, homeless and hungry, any help will do. Um, Hope Mission, as you can gather from the name, it's a Christian organization. So it kind of gave us an opportunity to, uh, to, to be witnesses on a more regular basis. In fact, we got to know this guy who happened to be in our program. You know, I would sometimes go out of my way and a lot of people would go out of their way to kind of be as witnessy as possible to this person. I would go sneak into the cafe, I would go sneak into the kitchen sometimes, grab a few extra sandwiches and just shove in his bag because he had a big labor job that he would do. Uh, you know, some other guys that were working there would take him out to, to, after their shift to job interviews just so he could find another job. You know, there was guys that by the time he scraped together enough money to get a deposit down for an apartment, they would take him go check out some places. Eventually he did graduate, which we don't always see in the homeless shelters, you imagine, but he was one of the success stories. And what's really neat about it is this is, as I said, we got to know the guy. In fact, if, if he could rewrite the sign his sign would probably look a little bit more like this. Hired at Tim Hortons, and now he's a shift supervisor. Life is good. Um, You know, it's amazing what God does when we're open to following what he says, when we're willing to be his witnesses. 
You know, it's amazing. Now, I'll call it what it is. You may not know people who have a sign like that, but there's a chance that you may know somebody who's got a sign that might read something more like this. Maybe. Maybe you've got someone who's got a sign that reads a little bit more like this. Maybe you know someone who's got a sign that reads a little bit more like this. Maybe, maybe just maybe, you know someone who's got a sign that reads a little bit more like this. Now, guys, why are we talking about this today? Why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because I firmly believe that when we mobilize the church of God, when we mobilize even the people that are part of the church of God and part of Connect Church to go out and be his witnesses, lives are changed. Churches are built. People are absolutely impacted. And when that happens, what will happen is this. We get opportunity to... We get to see opportunity to see lives changed from this to this. Be my witnesses. That means that maybe what happens is we get opportunity to see lives go from this to this. Maybe, maybe just maybe. We get to see lives go from this to this. Maybe, maybe just maybe, we get an opportunity to see lives go from this to this. Be my witnesses. Some incredible things happen when God says, be my witnesses. But that requires something. That requires us to do something. Be my witnesses, it might mean that you might have to open up your home to somebody that you never have in the past. Fine. Be my witnesses. It might mean that you have to change the way that you work a little bit and change the way that you act at work just a little bit so you can be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. Maybe what that means is that you've got to, I don't know, fill in the blank. See, I don't know what it is for you, but you might and God might. God certainly does. And if he happens to be speaking to you right now, if you're starting to get those thoughts in your head, I'm going to encourage you to explore that. Because the reality is, is that if you can explore that and be his witnesses, you will have the opportunity potentially to see not only lives changed, but if God so wills it, you get the chance to be able to see these signs change right before your eyes. Be my witnesses. We're going to three services here right away, guys. We might need four. Be my witnesses. We might need a bigger building. History has proven one thing, that when the people of God are willing to do what God asks them to do, people's lives are changed, churches are built, and signs absolutely flip, all for the glory of God. And that's the reason why, guys. The only thing I'm asking today is simple. Just be. Let's pray. Father, we're truly humbled by what it is that you've spoken to us. And I know that there's many people in this room here today who are hearing from you. I ask, Lord, that action follows what it is that you speak. 
You've called us to be your witnesses, and we ask the Lord that you will help us follow that commission. And as we do that, let us have the experience of not only seeing lives changed, not only seeing signs flip, but more than anything, God, we pray that your glory will be the one that shines throughout all of Calgary. We love you, we praise you, God, and we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.